Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. A little boy who lived far out in the country in the late 1800s, 1800s had reached the age of 12 and had never in all his life seen a circus. You can imagine his excitement when one day a poster went up at school announcing that on the next Saturday, a traveling circus was coming to a nearby town. He, he ran home with the, with the glad news and the question, Daddy, can I go? Although the family was poor, the father sensed how important this was to the lad. If you do your Saturday chores ahead of time, he said, I'll see to it that you have money to go. Come Saturday morning, the chores were done, and the little boy stood by the breakfast table, dressed in his Sunday best. His father reached down into the pocket of his overalls and pulled out a dollar bill, the most money the little boy had ever possessed at one time in all his life. The father cautioned him to be careful and then sent him on his way to town. The boy was so excited, his feet hardly seemed to touch the ground all the way. As he neared the outskirts of the village, he noticed people lining the streets, and he worked his way through the crowd until he could see what was happening. Lo and behold, it was, it was the approaching spectacle of a circus parade. The parade was the grandest thing this lad had ever seen. Caged animals snarled as they passed. Bands beat their rhythms and sounded shining horns. Midgets performed acrobatics while flags and ribbons swirled overhead. Finally, after everything had passed where he was standing, the traditional circus clown with floppy shoes, baggy pants, and a brightly painted face brought up the rear. As the clown passed by, the little boy reached into his pocket and took out that precious dollar bill. Handing the money to the clown, the boy turned around and went home. What had happened? The boy thought he had seen the circus when he'd only seen the parade. Just as this young boy had failed to see the circus because of the parade, so too the crowd failed to see Jesus that day in Capernaum because they were so focused on their stomachs and the miracle Jesus had performed the day before. I think if I were to give this sermon a title, I'd probably take a line out of Johnny Lee's 1980s Grammy Award hit song, Looking for Love. And I would entitle this, Looking for Jesus in All the Wrong Places. (laughs) The reason for this is because in our gospel reading this evening, we see through the debate Jesus was having with the crowd in Capernaum. Who Jesus says he is, is clearly different than who the crowd thinks and wants him to be. And John has written these 11 verses so to reveal some of the mistakes or misconceptions that the crowd has placed on Jesus in hopes that we would also not make those mistakes. 
So what exactly are those mistakes or misconceptions that the crowd had placed on Jesus? Well, I think the first, perhaps, misconception is that God had sent Jesus to be their own personal free food truck. You know, you've seen those food trucks? They're amazing. You know, they just show up wherever you're at. There's one, I guess, in Pittsburgh. There's a, it's like lobster and macaroni, or macaroni and cheese. And I'm like, before I die, I'm going to find that truck. <laughs> they, they believed that Jesus had uh, been there for their own free food truck. I want to uh, read out of verse 26, and I invite you to open up your bulletins and follow along with me as I read. Verse 26, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you were not seeking me because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You see, the, the crowd's main pursuit in Jesus was that they were hungry. And by following him, they believed that their bellies would always be filled and that they would never have to work again. That was their whole, whole concept and, and emphasis of following Jesus. It wasn't for the essence of who Jesus was. It was because of what he could give them which motivated them chasing him around till they could find him. One commentator, writes, one commentator writes this, though they witnessed the sign visually, they failed to perceive spiritually what the sign was all about. Instead of pursuing the glory of Christ, the crowd would rather seek him for his gifts. In college, I had uh, four roommates I, I bunked with. And one of the, the guys that I bunked with, um, he was a handsome chap. And to your surprise, it was not me. <laughs> and he, a lot of girls in our college um, liked him. And uh, like daily, girls would show up at the door and ask if Mark was, was here. Now, there was one particular girl that we thought Mark liked, and she definitely liked him, and we were very excited about her. And we thought they were going to really go strong. And then one day, Mark, we were all sitting around the, in the living room talking, and Mark said, um, I'm not into her. I, I kind of pretended like I was into her, but I'm not really into her. We were devastated by this news. <laughs> we were devastated because, you see, this girl worked at Mrs. Field's Cookies <laughs> at the mall. And when we found out that Mark didn't like her anymore, we knew this was a bad day for us. <laughs> as immature as that sounds, it's similar to what the crowd felt about Jesus. They wanted him for what he could give them, not for who he was. They were totally oblivious of their need for the deeper things in their hearts. The crowd wanted Jesus, but they wanted him on their terms and for their agenda. They were looking for a free meal ticket and a political messiah who would help them crush the Roman overlords. I guess before I get too carried away, I ought to admit that there are times, especially in my prayer time, that I treat Jesus like he's an employee wearing one of those little headsets, taking my order at a fast food restaurant as I rattle off my prayers you know, you've been there before. You know, you've got this little box and they ask you what your order is and you just rattle it off. Well, I guess, Lord, I, you got this and I, I'd like you to do a little extra of this. And do you have, can you add this on to it? And, you know, by, by the time I'm done, my, my prayer time has just been about me telling Jesus what I need. 
and never hallowing thy name. And yet Jesus, that day with the crowd and in my prayer time, cries out, seek me for my own sake. Seek me for my own sake. There's a Christian artist, his name's Paul Oakley. I don't know much about him, um, but he's written this song. It's called, It's All About You, Jesus. I was at a camp with a friend of mine, and he was leading worship, and he sang this song, and tears were coming down his face, and he was weeping as he sang this song. The lyrics go something like this. It's all about you, Jesus, and all of this is for you. For it's your glory and for your fame. It's not about me. And as if you should do things my way, you alone are God, and I surrender to your ways. There are times when I am in my prayer time or just in, in general singing this song, but the song kind of is a little bit different. It's, this is the way that I, I sometimes treat the Lord. It's all about me, Jesus, and all of this is for me, for my glory and for my fame. It's not about you. As you know, you should do things my way. You alone are God, but you should surrender to my ways. The second misconception is that in order to do the work of God, the crowd believes it must get to work. In verse 27 and 28, Jesus says this, follow along with me. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has sent his seal, Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the work of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. I can almost envision it. The crowd, you know, is waiting to to hear from Jesus. And and when they hear this word, it's it's about work. Do, do, Do this work. They just get real excited. But that's not what Jesus was saying, but that's what they heard. It's kind of like when my wife is talking to me and she'll say, that's not what I said. And I'm like, no, that's exactly what you said. And she's like, no, that is not what I said. (laughs) But I'm hearing something totally different. They hear this word work, do, and they're ecstatic because they know about works. They know about the law. And so they wring their hands with excitement. Just tell us what we need to do. How much more should we give? What more should we do? Double it up. Triple time it if we have to. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying you are to do nothing but to believe. And the kicker is that it's free. This free grace is so hard for them to swallow. You see, they they wanted a meal but they wanted a free meal, but they wanted to work for free grace. Do you see how, how like lopsided that is? And once again, they want Jesus, but they want him on their terms. And Jesus says, you can't work to achieve this. You can only just receive it. And we know that because Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace, and this is such a mantra for us here at the at grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, 
not a result of work so that no one can boast. So why are they so into works? And why are we at times so into works? I think author and writer Arthur Pink says it best in his commentary. He says, the human mind is always flattered when it is conscious of doing something for God. What is more for doing... What is more, for his doing, man considers himself entitled to a reward. How pleased we should all be if we could only earn salvation. In that case, we would have succeeded in bringing God into the humbling position of being indebted to us, and we would love it. The third misconception is that Jesus needs to step up his game a notch. Verse 30 says this, So they said to him after he had said what he said, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. It's like they were saying, show us. Show us what you got. One commentator wrote this, Jesus' invitation to believe in him is met by a request that he demonstrate his credentials. Further evidence of how little they had responded to his truth. One might have assumed that the feeding of the crowd was sufficient confirmation but apparently not. Have you ever driven behind somebody who's driving 10 miles under the speed limit? None of you? (laughs) You ought to try it sometime. It's fun. It's maddening to drive around Grove City and somebody (laughs) is driving 10 miles under that speed limit. In California, they drive like 20 over, 50 over the speed limit. It's just absolutely maddening. I think Jesus must have been going absolutely insane. I mean, are you serious? Just prior, the day before, Jesus had taken five loaves of bread, two fish, and fed over 5,000 people and left them with 12 baskets of food. And And the crowd has the nerve to say, what you got? Show us. What nerve, or as Brits like to say, cheeky. How can you be so oblivious? Well, I guess maybe this has happened to you, but in our family, one of our family traditions is to go to the fridge and open up the two doors and stand in front of the fridge and look at it for about two minutes and then call out to um, my wife, our kid's mom, and we say, hey, Delia, do we have any mustard? And Delia say, Yeah, we have mustard. It's in the fridge. And we say, I don't see it. And then she says, it's in there. And we say, nope, there's no mustard in here. And then literally, this has just happened just recently. I say, I don't. And there she is behind me. And then she grabs the mustard right in front of me and says, this is now mustard. (laughs) Reality is it can be right in front of us. 
They can be staring us in the eye as Jesus was with the crowd right in front of them. And they absolutely don't see him for who he is, for what he is and what he brings. And what's so ironic about this is that, you know, they want him to step up his game. Well, this has been going on with crowds from the beginning. We read in our Old Testament reading that the the Israelites, they say to uh, Moses and Aaron, like, you've brought us out here to starve us. How, how, what a failure. We would have been better actually back in Egypt because at least while we were slaves, we were eating and we were, we had three meals a day. You got to step up your game, Moses and Aaron. Crowds have been doing this forever. Crowds love to do that to preachers, to teachers, to, to all, to parents. Kids love to do that to parents. You've got to step up your game, mom and dad. You know, this is something that we, as a, just a, we, we just, that's human nature. And so, I guess a few questions must be asked. What is this bread that is so popular that Jesus won't stop talking about? And how much does it cost if we decide we're interested in it? And where can we get it? Well, in verse 35, Jesus answers all this as he finishes up talking to them. He says, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. There it is. There's two types of bread. You know this. There's, there's like physical bread. That's kind of the bread that fills your stomach. It gives substance um, and sustains life. But it does not, um, it does not um, give us eternal life. Matter of fact, in verse 27, it says that in, in the end, Jesus says it perishes. And then there's another type of bread. It doesn't just sustain life. It, it actually gives life. It gives eternal life. And that's the kind of bread that Jesus is offering the crowd. That's the kind of bread that lasts forever. And that's the kind of bread that every Sunday when we come here and you hear us preach or you um, participate in the service, that's the kind of bread Jesus offers every single time we gather as a community called Grace. And the wonderful thing about this bread is you can't work for it. But there is a catch. And the catch is this. It means that you have to understand that you are, des- you are in desperate need of this bread. That it goes beyond the physical worldly needs. You have to be aware that you're in need of this bread. And there are countless people who come to church every Sunday, who have no idea that they're in need of this type of bread. And I think it's because of the fact that they're so consumed with the here and now. Now, when I look out at at this community called Grace, let me say this. Today, as I've shared with you, I I don't really believe that this is like a massive heavy revelation that I'm giving you this this evening. I look at I know that I know many of you and I know the relationships that you have with the Lord and they're amazing. They're deep, they're rich. And so I would be foolish to think that today you walk out of here and say that was 
the best sermon I've ever heard here at Grace Anglican Church. But there's times when we have to kind of be reminded of the simple of things. To take out that pummel stone and scrape away some of that dead skin of things that we've collected over time that we don't even know is really there. And so perhaps what we need to just be reminded of is kind of the here and now. You know what they are. You may not understand when I say here and now, but it's kind of the simple things. It's Maybe it's a relationship that consumes you. Maybe it's the next promotion at a job. Maybe it's just school. Whatever it is, it's, it's the thing that distracts you right now from seeing Jesus and for him being able to take you where he wants you to go. Let me explain what I mean. I'll give you an illustration as I close. Um, so when we lived in California, we did the big plunge. It's, it's, it's something we thought long and hard about. We contemplated. We were very torn inside eternal, or in, um, inside us. And Delia and I wrestled long and hard. Should we do this to our kids? And finally, we just realized the pressure was getting too much. And we just said, we've got to do this. And so we packed our kids up and went to Disneyland. <laughs> we were 10 minutes out from the doors of Disneyland. And I realized I needed gas. And so I pulled out um, into this gas. I got off the off ramp and I pulled into a gas station and, uh, to get gas. And at the gas station, there was, it's just, it was huge. It was ginormous. And, um, it was a McDonald's gas station combo. And in the corner of where the gas station faced was these huge, you know, glass windows so you could see in. And there was this enormous McDonald's playland that every single kid whose parents got gas there could see it from the back seat of their car. Toby Macy, eyes bigger than saucers, Mom and Dad, we've got to stop and go play at that playland. No, Toby Macy, we're going to Disneyland. (laughs) Tears running down their face, agony of defeat. Why? Why do we have to go to Disneyland? We can see the play area. No, Toby Macy, sit down. Shut up. We're going to Disneyland. (laughs) I think this is a great illustration of the here and now. It's like we get so excited and fixated on something that God isn't really even showing us or wants for us, but we're just so excited about it. We're like, this is it. It can be so sincere, but it can be so wrong. And we just won't let go. And God is just saying, seek me for me, not for the things I can give. And so my prayer for us and my prayer for me, more than you, but for you, is Lord, please let me see the things that are blocking my way from seeing you. Let me be open and vulnerable enough to call it for what it is. And then, Lord, let me be willing to let you remove it. Not me, but you, through your spirit, remove it. I had a great conversation with a a parent um, a month or so back, and we were just talking about raising kids, and, you know, the challenge is raising kids, and 
she said to me, um, you know, my kids just at this age, are, they're discovering, you know, what's true, what's not, and they're trying to figure it out and make decisions, and they've got a lot of opinions, and some are right and some are not. And uh, she said, and so this is what I pray for them, um, for my kid, that God would show them what they do not see, that God would reveal what they are not aware and cannot see. I love that. I started praying that. The minute um, she said that, I was just like, I'm, I'm, that's mine. I'm going to pray that over my kids. Instead of like, you guys are just dumb and knuckleheads. That's probably a better prayer. I pray that God would allow you to see him through the eyes of, of bread that is eternal life. So that we might all together sing with full and sincere hearts, it's all about you, Jesus, and all of this is for you, for your glory and your fame. It's not about me, as if you should do things my way. You alone, O oh God, are you alone are God, and I surrender to your ways. Amen. They took your life, they could not.